yes, you want your kids to be compassionate and empathetic and um, and engaged. And mm-hmm. part of that is in a way that's appropriate to how old they are, kind yes. of bringing them into the world, including to some of the painful realities around human rights violations and social injustices and inequities and all of that. Um, but how do we balance that with really giving them that solid foundation that the world is good and people can be magnificent and it's for mm-hmm. that reason that we're doing the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. This is Women Out Loud, a podcast about women who are demanding rights, resources, and results. Brought to you by Madre, an international women's human rights organization. Welcome back to Women Out Loud. My name is Kat Noel, and I am Madre's website and media coordinator. In this episode, you'll hear from Ifat Suskin, Madre Executive Director, and also Natalia Caruso, Madre Program Director. Both women will discuss their experiences as women's human rights activists and as mothers to young children. They will also share how and when these very important roles intersect. Additionally, please stay tuned until the very end for an excerpt from a recent interview with our partner in Nicaragua, Rose Cunningham Kane. Natalia, you took your three-year-old daughter Lucia on her first demonstration this year. What was that like? So, yes, I went with Lucia to the International Women's Day March in New York, and it was the first time I took Lucia in, in, in a demonstration like that. And it was very interesting. I mean, I think for me it was a great experience. I was really looking forward to uh, introduce Lucia to the partners that were in town that were uh, demonstrating in New York City for the women's rights in general. and. Uh, coming from different places. And Lucia was at the beginning a little bit intimidated by the amount of people and the women chanting. And yet we were behind a group of young activists from Latin America chanting in Spanish. So she could understand what they, a little bit like what they were saying and chanting, but it was really not uh, relevant to her at that moment. And then she looked at me for approval and I was like, you know, you should get excited. We are in your first demonstration. It's for women's rights and, you know, it's for girls' rights. Um, I think it was inspiring for her. And then she finally sort of turned around and started chanting and, like, mimicking the people on the streets. And it was like a moment of the realization moment that she's part of, like, a movement and a bigger, you know, a global world. And I think it was very satisfying for both of us. So what about you, Ifat? I remember a few years ago, you traveled with your kids to the West Bank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, we were um, we were in Israel visiting my family. And as you know, we have this awesome project of Palestinian midwives who are living and working in the West Bank, the part that, that you know, that's occupied by Israel. And Aisha, who's the coordinator of that program, has a kid who's the same age as Eli, my younger son. And so she invited 
me and Max and our kids out to spend the day with her family. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot of contact, especially now, between Israelis and Palestinians who are living in, in the occupied territories. But um, it wasn't a time when there was a lot of military activity or anything. So we got in this rental car and we drove from Tel Aviv, where my dad lives, out to visit Aisha and her family for the day. And, you know, when you make that drive, you really see the occupation. You see this giant, ugly security wall or apartheid wall, as some people call it, that Israel has built as a separation barrier. You see that there's just no public services at all in the West Bank, even in, in places where people build extravagant houses. There's, you know, garbage burning in the streets and abandoned cars on the side of the road. There's just no no state infrastructure there to really care for people in public, right? Um, and of course, you see the the incredible military presence of the Israeli army, you know, all these checkpoints that you have to drive through and show your documents to soldiers and all of that. So it's very visual, even if you're an eight-year-old without a lot of context. So when we, so we did that trip, and when we, when we spent the day with Aisha and her kids, you know, do, making a barbecue and playing Legos and all that stuff that kids like to do, and when we got back to Tel Aviv that night, my younger son, who at the time was, I think, eight years old, said to my dad, who's like a first-generation Israeli, you know, his parents came from Europe and were part of this, you know, very sort of um, romanticized in Israel founding of the state. Um, and my kid said to my father, <clears throat> Grandpa, why did your parents think it was a good idea to make a country in someone else's country? And I remember at the time, you know, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and um, and my dad and I kind of looked at each other. And fortunately, there was like uh, a kind of a, a breaking of the tension sort of laughter at that mm -hmm. thing that mm -hmm. kids do, right, which is yeah. to acknowledge a truth in a way that only kids can. Uh -huh. And, you know, I think for me as an activist, it was kind of... <laughs> felt like kind of a victory, you know. I said jokingly to my husband, "Yep, our work here is done," um, you know, and not because it's not because the issue is that simple, but because of the way um, because of the way we can learn from kids, right? Who have this very intact sense of justice mm -hmm. that is not distorted by all the things that we allow justice to be distorted by, you know, whether it's it's rationalizations or wishful thinking or whatever, you know, there's a way in which we sometimes want political situations that we're working on, we want them to be complicated. We want mm -hmm. there to be room for equivocation. Um, and when you look at things from a very pure perspective of justice, sometimes they're very, very simple. Mm -hmm. So that that was interesting. and. Yeah, it did. It did feel like sort of a. We were talking before about you know parenting and activism and and what works and what doesn't, and it felt like that worked without a lot of commentary to kind of mm -hmm. show my kids what it looks like to live there, what it's like to be a fourth grader, you know, outside of Ramallah. Um, but we've also had some failures. Uh -huh. um, can you remember one in particular so I could learn <laughs> from yeah. my own experience as a mother? <laughs> right. Well, my kids are kind of a, uh, you know, a whole a whole set older than Lucia mm -hmm. is now, yes. right? So yeah, we have a little bit of um, a little bit of trial and error under our belt as as parents who are also social justice activists. Um, you know what I'm thinking about? 
During the Iraq War, when my older son was just a little bit older than Lucia is now, I think he was Mm -hmm. about five, and we were walked by a demonstration that some high school kids were doing in our neighborhood about the war, and it was they were organizing a letter writing campaign um, to make a protest about uh, the troop surge in Iraq, Mm -hmm. and. and, and Sasha, my son, already knew about the war in that very general way that kids who are starting to read and are reading newspaper headlines and things know about it. And so I said to him, oh, let's write a postcard to President Bush to tell him to make peace, that we really want there to be peace. And so he went over and in his, like, you know, sort of Crayola scribble, five-year-old way, you know, signed this postcard. And it felt at the, in the moment to me like this lovely little gesture. Uh-huh. And then something terrible happened, which is that the next morning when I woke him up for school, he said to me, the first words out of his mouth, he said to me, Mama, did President Bush end the war? Exactly. I was horrified. And I I, I didn't know what to say to him. But I I realized that, um, yeah, that I had made a mistake as a parent, you know, Mm -hmm. that I had brought him into this political experience thinking that that was a good sort of age-appropriate intervention for him, and it Mm -hmm. totally wasn't, Uh, you know? And really what I learned was that that accidentally, obviously, you know, the message I had had left him with was that he took an action and it didn't matter. (laughs) And that, as we all know as activists, is like the worst possible message to give somebody, you know, that that you're going to be exposed to some painful reality, some injustice in the world. Mm -hmm. You're going to be motivated to take an action. And then it's really important either to have the experience that your action mattered or to have the perspective that you have to do this action 10,000 times before it's going to matter exactly. or, yeah. you know, yeah. or for 10 years or whatever. And that, that was my mistake as a parent. <laughs> you know, I forgot that five-year-olds don't have a very good developed sense of future tense, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, he woke up the next day and, and was like, oh, did I solve it? Did I end the war? And I had to say no. no. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. In the next part of their conversation, Natalia and Ifat discuss how many parents struggle with wanting to protect their children, but also wondering how and when to expose them to the realities of the world. I think one of the really uh, intense things about doing this work for social justice at the same moment in our lives as with that, as, as having young kids is that both of those feel like, they each feel like 100% of our lives, Yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but how is that for you? How do you feel like your work as the program director at Madre, your work as a social justice activist is impacting your parenting? I think I could speak of like both sort of the positive side and the negative side. I think like, you know, if you look at the you know, we're lucky to be doing the work that we are doing here at Madre and to have all of this, you know, experiences and activisms and the lessons learned of what it means to claim for your rights in contexts that are very, very much, 
endangering women and girls. And I think that is also give you hopes and it keep you, you know, sort of like re-energize your activism for one thing. And I feel like I transmit that in my parenting to Lucia, like the that there is something in the activism that makes a future better for everyone and including for for women and girls but also if I think about you know sort of the negative side of being more being really exposed to and the proximity of the work to issues such as for example I've been you know thinking a lot about sexual violence that women and girls suffer around the world and you know just a few weeks ago that we have been talking uh, with many partners from Syria, from Iraq, from Nicaragua, from Colombia, you could hear all of these experiences over and over again that women and girls are very much affected and, you know, and are survivors, but are also, you know, under this threat, a real threat out there for sexual violence. And for me, it's sort of like, it makes a direct connection to my mothering, <laughs> to Lucia, because she's a girl, and I know not to dismiss that, you know, boys don't get sort of like the same threat out there for sexual violence, but I think it makes it, for me, very real that there is a threat for Lucia being a girl, and what can we do about it, right? Like, we live in New York City, we think like she has, you know, a, a privileged life, but it's still that part of me that really connects Lucia with the international community and the global movement of who we are and what are we, you know, confronting these days. So I think that for me makes it a little bit harder uh, to, I struggle personally for for that matter. And I think every mother sort of struggle with the protection of their kids. I think it's not just, you know, me as a program director and the proximity to the work, but I think it makes it more real and more one of my daily concerns. You know, how do you how do you uh, prevent that, right? Like, how do you really act in a way? And, and also, uh, I was talking to you last week. Like, you know, what do, how do I question my judgment? One is then okay to expose Lucia to a particular situation or not. You know, it could be like in many different ways. Like, how do you really prevent or prepare your kid, right? Like, it's not only just the prevention and the protection, but you prepare your kid to be able to uh, be in the world and just... Um, confront this situation. So I think that's, for me, one of the uh, parenting issues that really comes alive sort of every day. And, you know, we try to work around it and being part of a movement, I think it helps in put it in perspective and also see what are alternatives and models to follow, if you want, in terms of, like, the having these conversations with girls, even, you know, as, as young as three years old. So I yeah. think it's... It's hard. I don't know, you know, like, I think it really hits me as the the personal story of being a mother of a girl. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think every parent struggles with um, a fear that they're not going to be able to protect their kid mm -hmm. from, you yes. know, that that's, that's, we're hardwired to have that fear um, as a way to, <laughs> you know, for, for evolutionary purposes. Yes. But, um, but it can be really stark. And one of the things that for me is hard, especially as my kids get older and are, you know, catching glimpses of the news or spending time online mm -hmm. or having discussions with other kids more and more, um, is not just, not just a fear about how to protect them from real violence in the world, but also a, f 
also making the right decisions about how much to expose them to violence yes. in the world, <laughs> including violence that fortunately they themselves don't face, right? Yes. Um, I think one of the... And I don't want to do the mistake, you know, exposing in a way that presented to a reality that is not her reality, right? Like, and then it will have the same sort of like consequence of your kid being exposed. You know, like, I write a letter and therefore you're going to have these consequences. It's because it might not be necessarily grasped by Lucia, what is this that I'm talking about, right? Like, but then how do you... I think, you know, like, you probably have more experience in, like, how do you really introduce your kid in a way that they start, start understanding what are some of the situations that, you know, might happen to them or might, might feel like they need to be more aware of in this world, right? Like, I think it's just that level of how much you engage with your kids, right? Like, what you're saying, the exposure level, I think, is really is real. And I don't know how do you do with... 10, 12 years old. Right. In your case? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that all kids need to be happy and secure mm -hmm. is to experience the world as fundamentally a good and safe place. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you have to have that as your baseline. Um, and which is why it's so infuriating as parents when there is um w w when that's undermined when that's disrupted yes. you know by us in a small way by a school bully or in a monumental way by something like you know the sandy hook school shooting that happened yeah. you know where the lesson for kids is i'm not safe in my kindergarten class yeah. you know that's and it true. makes you so yeah. angry as a mm -hmm. parent that's that that message is out there in the world mm -hmm. you know it's even separate from how you engage with the tragedy Yes. Uh, of the actual totally. violence, uh -huh. you know, those are those can be very separate things, um, and 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 it's interesting because I think that in the same way that kids need that foundation of experiencing the world as fundamentally a good and secure place, in a certain way, to be a social justice activist, you also have to be able to believe that the world, if it's not a fundamentally good and secure place now, that it can be. That it can be. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't really carry that belief that things can be better than they are, then you're not going to be an activist. I mean, yeah, that, that's exactly. why we that's come to work every foundation. day. Yes. That's, mm -hmm. what, that's, that's what we do as activists is enact that belief that things can be better. Mm -hmm. And that's the, such a fundamental parenting message, right? Yes. But if it's not, if, but I think that for kids, that experience of the world being good has to come before any kind of critique. And you really mm -hmm. want it to come before exactly. an exposure to violence and abuse and injustice, because what you want as a parent is to, and what we want for ourselves, right, is to understand everything that's wrong with the world as an aberration. Even if there's a lot of violence and abuse and injustice, we want to be yes. able to believe and we want our kids to believe that that's not actually how it's supposed to be. So I feel like that's th that's always the balance. You know, yes, you want your kids to be compassionate and empathetic and um, and engaged. And mm -hmm. part of that is in a way that's appropriate to how old they are, kind yes. of bringing them into the world, including to some of the painful realities around human rights violations and social injustices and inequities and all of that. Um, but how do we balance that with, really giving them that solid foundation that 
the world is good and people can be magnificent. And it's for mm-hmm. that reason that we're doing that the work. Is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. In this segment, Ifa and Natalia share how our partners are creating the world they want to see as activists and also as mothers. In a lot of ways, the same thing that we're doing as parents, trying to figure out how do we transmit our values, how do we raise our kids to be active, engaged people who care about the world. I mean, it's the same thing that the women of our partner organizations are doing in all of the countries that we work in. Yes, and I think, you know, when we are talking about what it means to be a mother and, you know, the the type of uh, relationship you create with your sons and daughters, I think, I, you know, I could, rem- I could, it brings me back to a lot of the, the mothers and great activists that Madre works. So a great example of motherhood and activism is Rose, our long-term partner in Nicaragua, who has organized the women and girls and the communities themselves to confront violence. I think the empowering of the women and the activism that she really leads at the community level uh, is a great example of her activism. So you could see that Rose's activism started at home. She raised two kids, one son and a daughter. Uh, her son, Otis, lives in Waspam and is very much involved in all the community organizing that is happening in indigenous communities in the northern part of Nicaragua and follows very much the path of Rose and really have strengthened uh, her leadership. When you visit the communities, you see Otis is standing up as a leader for women's rights and really continue the work that Rose uh, have started in those communities. I think you could see clearly let the next generation of to continue in the work and passing that activism to, you know, the next generation, the future generation. Yeah, one of the things that strikes me about the women that we work with in Latin America, but also in in the Middle East, in in East Africa, is that that same dynamic of mothering functions, um, you know, not just with their own biological children, mm-hmm. but it, it it so much informs the way that they see their themselves as activists. And I'm thinking about you know the 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 two Syrian partners that we were just with, um, you know, one of whom is an older activist who's part of an organization that's been fighting for women's rights in Syria. No easy thing to do under mm-hmm. these consecutive Assad regimes, right? Since the 1940s, they've been doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and bringing in these younger activists, these, these women who are in their late teens, early 20s, who became politicized in the context of the 2011 pro-democracy uprising and really had no connection to that women's rights beforehand. Yes. And that's a real, um, it, it's really interesting to watch them working mm-hmm. together. Yes. And there's a lot of that that dynamic functioning, you know, both in their in their support and in the, the, the 
both in the friendship and support that flows between them, but also in the political arguments that they have and really hearing that intergenerational tension and that tension being a productive one because it's held in a space of of love, really, and of those older women really seeing the younger women as um you know, not just seeing themselves as teachers of the younger women, but understanding that they need those younger women uh, to carry on mm-hmm. the work mm-hmm. and exactly. and to build the world that we want to see in, you know, the world that we want to see both as social justice activists and as moms. Yes. You know, and those mm-hmm. things aren't aren't separate. It's like the reason that we are human rights activists is the same set of reasons why we want to, to build a better world for our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I could think of, you know, when we talk about what do we want our kids, you know, to be doing or what the type of, you know, like a social activist we envision our kids to be. I could think of like, you know, I want Lucia, and that was part of like bringing her to the demonstration. I want Lucia to know that she is part of like, you know, a global world, that she lives in New York, that she has family in other places, but like she's part of a world that, you know, that, that, that confront different situations and that there is something to do about it. From the three-year-old perspective, I would be happy if she grows up, like, making sure that when she sees injustices, she wants to do something about it. And I think that's one of the messages that I hope with initiating with the March 8th this year, that she start uh, being, you know, caring more about, about each other and build that sense of solidarity. Earlier in the podcast, Natalia mentioned our partner, Rose Cunningham Kane. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Rose, and during our conversation, she shared how serving as the president of our sister organization, Wonky Tongni, has influenced her son, Otis, to become an avid advocate for women's human rights. Yo, Rose, soy mamá de un muchacho muy guapo, Otis. I, Rose, am a mother to a handsome young man, Otis. And I am also a mother to Judith. I have two children, and now I have four grandchildren, out of which I have three granddaughters and one grandson. My grandchildren are like the grandchildren of any grandmother, my favorite. We believe in the whole group of organized women that the promotion of human rights, the promotion of women's rights, mainly has to derive from principles and values. If we don't address principles and values, we are not doing much. And we in the region have lived through problems as a consequence of natural disasters that mobilize entire communities when there are floods or hurricanes. But we also lived in Nicaragua through various periods of war. And one of the periods of war in the 1980s, when Otis was a child, was the War of the Sandinista Revolution. And my son Otis grew up in this environment, watching our peace mobilization. 
Otis grew up observing all of our work for autonomy and also our fight for women's rights that my mother, his grandmother, started, and we now continue. I believe one of the things I have been able to set as an example with my children is involving them in the revindicative process of fighting for the rights of indigenous people and for the rights of women. So today, I have a son who attends the town's meetings, who helped organize a march for International Women's Day. I have a son who is a leader. When we talk about women's rights and the fight for women's rights, we don't only focus on organizing the women, we discuss the women and their families. Because we come from families with traditions of collectiveness, of collective practices. So in all of our work, there's always family involved. Although we have a strong patriarchal heritage and getting the men to recognize the rights of women hasn't been easy, we are making progress. We are also working with children in our community because as young people, it will be them who will continue along in this march for a life free of violence against women. I would like to end this episode of Women Out Loud with a quote from Alexis Duveau, a member of Madre's founding circle. Motherhood is not simply the organic process of giving birth. It is an understanding of the needs of the world. Every day we celebrate the women who are tirelessly working to build a better future for us all. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, we want to hear from you. Tell us what you thought of this episode and what you hope to hear more of. Email us at womenoutloud at madre.org or use the hashtag womenoutloud on Twitter. Thank you.